Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the blessing of this day, and we thank You on this Lord's Day that we can gather together and continue to look at Your Word, specifically the Proverbs. We thank You for the wisdom that You have revealed to us in Your Word, and so also we thank You for the embodiment of it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that by the Spirit of Christ that You would teach us, enable and encourage and edify us as we seek to grow in the wisdom of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's just do a a real quick flyover because we actually have, as you can see by the numbers up on the board, we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, But just a a quick flyover of what we looked at last week in the topic of uh, the home. And um, incidentally, I would imagine that this topic... Um, would encourage a, a fair bit of, of lamentation uh, for to talk about all of the woes of the home in, in uh, modern American culture and so forth and so on. I have, I have intentionally tried to avoid uh, the uh, lamentation of that topic, but I also believe that we all understand that to, to use evangelical nomenclature, that the family is under attack. Um, whatever that means. And so I think that regardless, the, the family is held in, in low regard. And I think that uh, the Proverbs certainly pushes back and shows us the importance of the family and the home. And so last week, what did we look at? Last week we looked at what role the parents play in the home. And we looked at four different things. If you have your your notes from last week, you probably remember we looked at four things. Number one, parents uh, play the role of teacher. Number two, protector. Number three, example. And by that we meant example of integrity. And number four, disciplinarian. And then uh, we also asked what should wise parents guard against and uh, one of the, the overwhelming answers to that question is that the parents should guard against raising a fool. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, we then moved into what role does a child have in the home. Uh, we looked at three different things. Uh, number one, a learner. A child in the home should be a learner. A child should be a recipient of blessings. Number three, a child should be a bestower of gladness. Um, one of the things that, that did come up that the Proverbs don't talk about is the role of the child in the home in terms of industry, uh, work, and, and things of that nature. And so I'm going to try to touch on that a little bit today, uh, but we don't see Proverbs that address that pr- precisely, uh, and so I didn't include that on, on the list. And then where we left off last week is we were asked, what should wise children guard against? What should wise children guard against? And what we, <clears throat> what we looked at uh, is, first of all, and again, I'm moving quickly through this, is that children should guard against despising their children, I mean their children, their parents, despising their parents and the instruction that their parents uh, give. Secondly, that children uh, should guard against grieving their parents. And of course, uh, all of these can be interconnected. Uh, Despising can cause grief to the parents, so forth. Uh, We see continually in the Proverbs that it's the the actions, the behavior of children that uh, lead often to this grieving. And then uh, number three, and I believe this, this is where we left off, dishonoring parents. Again, there's an interconnectedness here. 
this honoring parents. And what does the Proverbs say about that? And so we're looking back to our notes from last week. Uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 19.26 says, He who gives violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. And, and so we're, we're given some action uh, words here. Uh, what, what would you uh, understand it to mean by he who does violence to his father? Do you think that that's specifically talking about fighting within the home? Or what picture is being painted by violence with a parent? It says does violence. The, 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 word, uh, the verb there is does, not violent. Sounds physical to me. Yeah, could, could be physical. Yeah. Could be verbal as well. That's right. I mean, the idea is that, that the home is a place of instruction and of, of nurture and what's violence, whether it be physical or emotional. What, what is violence? That's right. That's right. It's, 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 it's anarchy, so to speak, inside of the home, a violence that erupts, whether it be verbally, whether it be physically. The idea is that the, the, the child is dishonoring his or her parents by virtue of creating this turmoil within the home. And then it says, chases away his mother. Chases away his mother. Again, this is poetic language. Um, while our imaginations might uh, have a picture of, of mom running down the street and the kid chasing after mom as she screams. I mean, but that's really not what the poet is, is telling us, is it? We're, we're being... Hmm? Yeah, yeah, even though it could happen today. That's right. But the, the, the idea poetically is what? is that that disruptive behavior, that, that, uh, that anarchy within the home, does it, does it encourage a parent to stay there and to nurture uh, the child in the home? Uh, no, it, it leads to a, a mother, in this case, could be a father, running, fleeing for their safety or for a place of peace. Um, the bottom line is, is that whatever that behavior is, whether it is really physically violent or whether it is uh, verbally or what have you, it brings shame and reproach. And who does it bring shame upon? He who does violence to his father, chases away his mother, is a son who brings shame and reproach. Well, we would, we would probably think it's the one that's doing the, the, the bad behavior, right? But the writer of Proverbs doesn't say that. Bring shame and reproach, we can imply, means what? To the family. That's right. I mean, it brings shame and reproach to the family, to both the father, to the mother, but also to the child. In other words, this is not <clears throat> uh, something that uh, conveys uh, the idea of a peaceful and, and nurturing home. Um, any of any of you uh, uh, classic literature fans? Any classic literature fans? Okay, I mean nobody's a classic literature fan in here. Somebody, right? Okay, all right. Any any Jane Austen fans? Okay, right. So, and maybe if you've seen the, the movie, but certainly if you've read the book, if you've read ever read Pride and Prejudice by by Jane Austen, so possibly her greatest work. Scholars would argue perhaps it's Sense and Sensibility. Regardless, it's, it's a great novel, right? And it, it has a lot to say. What do we learn about the mother and the three youngest daughters 
compared to the father and the two oldest daughters in Pride and Prejudice. Now, you're all sitting there and you're thinking, should have read that a little closer. Well, you all know this because even if you've seen the movie, you know that Jane Austen, who had such a a brilliant ability to penetrate into the human situation and to paint pictures for us, and what she does in her novel is she shows us two daughters who were raised with the involvement of the father with the mother, and the two oldest daughters are pictures uh, to be admired, aren't they? Even though we find that, uh, <clears throat> uh, that there uh, is certain characteristics of them that are not a, necessarily a becoming. Nevertheless, by and large, if you read the quotes of, of the two oldest daughters, they're to be admired. What do we know of the mother and the three oldest daughters? Yeah, yeah. The father has stepped away. The mother is a fool. She is Jane Austen's picture of a fool. She's painting the fool. And the fool is left to her folly. Her folly is her three, oldest, her three youngest daughters who the father has removed himself and tends to focus on the two older daughters. The three youngest are, are become uh, wayward in various ways. One becomes wayward intellectually. One becomes wayward sexually. One becomes wayward. Well, we don't know yet. She's too young. But nevertheless, we know she's not on the right path. And in that novel, what's Jane Austen doing? She's showing us the integral nature of the family and she's showing us that it all has to work together. A foolish mother left to herself, here's what you get. An absent father left away from the family, this is what you get. What happens when mom and dad and the children are are working together within that family Well, that's what the ideal is, and that's what Jane Austen is showing, how quickly it can come apart. For example, you see that in the funny character. Is Brandon in here? Brandon brilliantly played uh, Mr. Collins uh, when he played on the little... I mean, just nailed Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice on the stage. And so I wish he was, he was in here to hear this. Uh, but, but Mr. Collins, who is the, the, the minister, instantly Jane Austen's father and brother were both uh, uh, ministers. So she, she knows the profession well and she had high regard for it, but she also was able to poke fun at it. And we poke fun at Mr. Collins. But Mr. Collins looks to the family in his pharisaical way and interestingly enough, picks out this, I can't believe, sir, that you would allow your daughter to behave that way. And he does it in a demeaning way. He does it in an unloving way, an ungracious way. And he nails it. And the father has little to say other than just how ungracious the minister is. But nevertheless, he doesn't deny that it's true. Well, I ramble through all that to say is that's a really good picture of what Solomon's talking about here in terms of dishonoring parents. The three youngest daughters are dishonoring their parents, uh, notably Lily, in the novel uh, that draws out this dysfunction within the family. It can go beyond the dishonoring, though. It can go to harming. Harming parents. And the writer of Proverbs says, A foolish son is ruin to his father. Incidentally, it does not say, the translation of the, the, uh, the Hebrew here, they have chosen not to place an article in front of ruin. A foolish son is 
ruin. Not a ruin, meaning he's the ruin that results, but is ruin to his father, which implies what? What the son does affects his father. Does his father harm? And Proverbs 20.20 says, If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Again, the Proverbs are not promises, uh, and this is not some sort of prophetic word. It just simply means what? That ultimately what comes around goes around. And a, a, a child that curses his father and mother eventually theoretically, is going to get what's coming to him or her. And then Proverbs 28, 24, whoever robs his father or his mother says, there's no transgression, is a companion of a man who destroys. If any of you have ever known, and I have known, a child who who has robbed something of their father and mother, oftentimes the argument is what? Well, I'm their child, and so that's partly mine. And that's the idea here. There, when the, the, the child says, there's no transgression, it's not that they're denying that he or she took what was the parents, but rather it's, well, I've got an argument. I can justify it. I can argue my point. But ultimately what happens, it ultimately <clears throat> it leads to destruction. So parents should guard, I mean, children should guard against despising their parents, grieving their parents, dishonoring their parents, harming their parents, and then finally... Uh, squandering blessings from their parents. Squandering blessings from their parents. Proverbs 29.3 He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. What's the idea there? The second half of that, a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Immediately we think of the parable of what? The, the prodigal son. So that's the, that, the idea. Uh, perhaps Jesus was drawing from this. Perhaps not. But the idea is the companion of, of prostitutes does what? Whatever he gained from his parents, he dishonors it by what? By squandering it. He squanders what he has been given. He does not treat it uh, with respect. Now... <clears throat> One of the questions that came up last week was, uh, how then, uh, if, if, if this is what uh, godly sh- children should guard against, what about children who love the Lord but are raised within a home where the parents, one or both, are unbelievers? And so the question is, is does that impact what we've looked about in terms of how a child, what children should guard against. What are your, your thoughts on that? Well, let's suppose that that child has, has come to faith at some point. They're still in the home. And let's say that they're in a church or, or they're, they're going to a Sunday school or Bible study or something like that, and they're being taught and, and trained, uh, but it's not happening in the home. What, what is their role, what is their, uh, ro- the child's role with unbelieving parents? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, 
I'm not sure, and again, in the sense of the Proverbs being truisms, so they're, they're paintings with very broad brushstrokes, I'm not sure that anything changes, is there? I mean, in, in, the, in the general sense, <clears throat> even if there are parents that might disagree adamantly uh, with the faith of a child, it still wouldn't give the child the prerogative to despise his or her parents, would it? Would it give the child a prerogative to grieve his or her parents? I mean, in the sense, you could say, well, um, you know, the parents might be grieved because the, the child has, is living the Christian faith and they disagree with the Christian faith. So that could cause them grief. But that's not really on the child, is it? And that'd be a prerogative of, of the parent. So I think we probably have to be careful here in terms of, of what grief is and how it's defined, right? Well, I think you have to, that's the draw the line with, with, with what, what, what is uh, disagreeing with God's Word. So, in, in, you know, in this sense, is anything that would violate a clear command from God's Word, clear direction from God's Word. And I think you have to be careful there uh, because I know there are a lot of Christians sort of trump up things that they think are in God's Word and maybe in God's Word and further in God's Word, but that which is crystal clear. So stealing would be a prime example. If a parent tells a child to steal, is that clearly dealt with in God's moral law? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Right? So it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments. So in, in that sense, the child may, may disobey. And in a general sense, could we say that their obedience to the Lord as opposed to their parents is actually honoring to the parents? I mean, I think so. Because the idea of honor is based on how God defines it, not how the parent defines it, not how our culture defines it. Yes? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's, that, that's the, the, a great example uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I mean, how is, how is the, the, unbelie- the believing wife, how does she respond? We could broaden this to say how does a, a spouse respond when their, other, their uh, uh, mate is uh, an unbeliever? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, 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 the difference in, in this sense is, is that the implication is the teaching and training comes from the parent to the child, and that may not always be in the perfect scenario. And that's, that's another reason why we need to not take the Proverbs as promises. We need to take them as general revelations of, of wisdom and understand that with, uh, with what God's Word specifically says, so also there comes the need uh, to seek for wisdom and seek for godly counsel, right? All right, any other thing, anything else on this? I do it every week. Yeah, so welcome to the club, yeah. Yeah. Right. Or 
Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you think in that sense then, uh, if, if think of, of, of hatred as the noun, despising as a descriptive verb? I can despise someone in my heart. That's a, that's a, the verb is despise. Um, it's an action, although it's an internal action, but, but the, the ultimate root of it is what? Hatred. Yeah. So to despise one's parents is to, to actively engage, whether it be inward or, or outwardly, uh, hating one's parents to, to a certain extent, to, to your point. That's a great point. It's, it's amazing mm-hmm. how God provides yeah. for them to be mentored and brought along. And I, you know, and again, like J.D. said, this is opportunity for children or kids to reflect Christ to their parents mm-hmm. and, you know, say, I can't steal because God's Word. Yeah. 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 That 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 that's a great point. That's a great point, and and uh, and and we also I think we need to be open to the the reality that the Lord could use us. It's very easy to leave this statically within the proverbs, um, but uh, I think that <clears throat> the Lord can use us in a myriad of different ways, especially in environments like that, like he's used you. And I think about in, in some of the situations when our youngest uh, was in school and in sports and, and in, in ways that I think Sydney and I, neither of us ever uh, imagined that the Lord would put people in our path that, that, that we could uh, influence in a positive way, which you knew the home environment by virtue of conversations with them was not good. It's good. Well, what's harmful to the home? Well, uh, the Proverbs, as I found, only mentions one thing that I, th- I think we could say is, is specifically listed as harmful. Uh, and it says, a, a foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Uh, I may be stretching it here, but the idea here is quarreling can be harmful to the home. But we could also go back and look at all of these as well as the ones that we looked at last week in terms of the parents' uh, obligations and responsibilities with the child and see all sorts of, of, of issues that can lead to harm in a home. And so what I want to do today is I want to reverse that. I want to reverse it uh, with a little bit of time that we have and I want to look at the question of what 
blesses the home. Oftentimes we tend to fixate on the negative, uh, but I want to, to uh, sort of land the plane on the family uh, on what blesses a home. Now, before I charge into this, and you have your notes in front of you, uh, I want to make a couple of comments about the majority of the verses that I'm using. So, number one, uh, the woman of Proverbs 31, often referred to as the ideal wife or the ideal mother. Um, there are a number of ways to look at her. The, the straightforward example uh, is to see her as uh, this, this amazing industrious woman. Uh, we're not even sure how she gets everything done that she gets done. She's that amazing. It's led some uh, evangelical women to say, uh, stop holding up that woman as the ideal. Um, you know, she is impossible. Uh, the, the other uh, interpretation, uh, some scholars have looked at her metaphorically to say, well, she's Lady Wisdom. Uh, she's this woman that is talked about earlier, and so she personifies this wisdom. And, and there's some merit to that. I don't, that. I don't personally go down that path, but I think there's good scholarly merit uh, to that as well. Uh, but how I want to use her today, even though she shatters all of the preconceived evangelical notions of what womanhood is, we're going to talk about that later. Uh, and, and, and so I'll, you just be sure that I will offend everybody in the future. Uh, today, I'm going to try just to offend a few. Uh, just kidding. Hopefully, I'll offend no one. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look at her characteristics as examples of blessings in the home. In other words, I want to look at it not based on her as a woman, but what is it that she does that blesses the home, and so I just want to look on that, that her doing as ideals of what blesses a home. So in other words, what I'm saying to you as a teacher is don't get caught up on this being this amazing woman of Proverbs 31. I just want you to look at her, what she, rather her characteristics in the context of the home. So let's start here, not with Proverbs 31, but Proverbs 19.14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So what's one of the things that blesses a home? Well, sticking with just the general principle, not the sex of the person or the role of the person, one of the blessings in the home is prudence. And I could pull out a number of other Proverbs uh, that point to this, but what is prudence? What does it mean to say that one is prudent? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a wisdom, uh, applicable wisdom. It's, it's personified, right? It's someone that is actually doing something, living out, we would say, li- living out, acting wisely or acting in, in wise ways in, in which they're demonstrated, but also the idea here is, is that it is of effect. In other words, someone acting prudently that has a, for sake of redundancy, a prudent effect upon the family, Right? So that's, that's the general idea. A prudent wife is from the Lord. Why do we say that she's a blessing from the Lord? Because she acts prudently. What's the benefit to the home? Her prudence or the application of her wisdom. Number two, Proverbs 31.11. 
The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Just want to focus on the first half of that. Another blessing of the home is trust. Trust. Now, of course, uh, no personal examples here, uh, but how many of us have witnessed marriages where there is a breakdown of trust? Uh, I think about in terms of a pastoral uh, counseling situation, uh, not a specific example. This is just like pastoral counseling 101. Uh, whenever there is infidelity within a marriage and the couple comes to meet with you, the pastor must assume, and this is always the case, must assume that one of the underlying things that's going to come up is, is a lack of trust. I don't trust that person, him or her, whatever the case is. I don't trust my, my wife or my ha- husband. But here it says is that the husband trusts in her. The ideas and, and the imputed preposition there is what? Not just that he trusts her, but that her behavior is such, has such consistency that someone trusts, in this case her husband, trusts in her. And so there is a demonstration, a revelation of their character that leads to trust. Trust blesses a home. If a parent can trust a child, if a child can trust a parent, if spouses can trust one another, that's a real integral blessing to the home. And I might add, most of us take this for granted, but if you encounter a home, especially between a husband and wife, but also encounter a home even when there's a breakdown in trust between parents and the child, it becomes glaringly obvious. This is amazing dysfunction. I mean amazing in a, in a bad sense. This, this is extraordinary, might be a better word, dysfunction with the home. So trust is integral to blessing within the home. That's right. I mean, that's one of the things within marital, for the sake of the video, J.D. said broken trust is hard to reestablish. Uh, not impossible. We, we do see that there's healing, but uh, certainly in the case of infidelity within marriage, that has to be repaired first. Yeah. And oftentimes, I might add, is that oftentimes with the, the spouse, it's, it's, they have to be taught or encouraged to trust the Lord first and then the other spouse. You were going to say? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. has a ripple effect on the child, undoubtedly. Number three, Proverbs 31.12. She does him good and no harm all the days of her life. And so the third thing that benefits a family is doing good. Now let's think about this, whether it's talking about uh, this woman of Proverbs 31 or in general, someone within the home, when it says that she does him good and not harm those are really general words, right? I mean, it's kind of like saying, this is good, this is bad. I mean, there's no specificity here. But what's the implication? What's the implication? Well, there are a couple of things. Even though those are really general words, good, she does him good. In other words, there's a self-sacrificing implication here, isn't there? The idea that someone within the home, whether it be husband, wife, or child, they are intentionally doing good 
for someone within the family. I mean, by the way, that's tied up in all of this stuff that we talked about last week and this week, right? I mean, all of this, the idea is that there, we are one another within the household doing good to one another and not harm. The writer of Proverbs gives us both general words, good and harm, but also gives us good and bad as well, right? The idea here is that not only is she focused on doing something good or he doing something good for her, but also they're also cautious. They're making sure that what they say, what they do, doesn't bring harm upon the family. Number three, or number four, and this is what I was getting at earlier about uh, what's said about a child and so forth and so on. Here, it's speaking of the, the woman. Several Proverbs for us to look at. Proverbs 31, 13, and 14. Uh, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Um, I, I'm going to have so much fun. Uh, when we get to to this amazing uh, woman and her uh, shrewd negotiation skills outside of the home. Uh, But uh, here, I'm just sticking with the idea of what? The idea of industry. Her industry and, by and large, industry of the husband, the father, the wife, the mother, the children within the home, industry blesses the home. It goes on in in, uh, verses 24 and 25. It says, She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Um, The idea, and there's several words in there that I think are beneficial to the home. Uh, One of the first things is, is what she is doing. In, in Proverbs 13 and 14, which you have in front of you, she is seeking, she is working, she's industrious, but so also she industri- industrious not just with her hands, but with her mind. And also she brings, in verses 24 and 25, which I don't believe you have in front of you, it says she makes, she sells. The implication is it's, it's, she's not in, in the home. This is before the internet, of course, right? Uh, she, she's trading out in the open market. She delivers, not pe- things for her home, but she's delivering something that to, to outside merchants. Uh, and then it pauses here. The writer of Proverbs pauses and says, strength and dignity are clothing. The idea is what? And don't think about the woman. Just think of the idea of industry. What does it tell us about industry? Someone who is industrious, someone who is not just a hard worker, but a really industrious person seeking to do that which is good both inside and outside the home, they're what? It, gain, it benefits them in the sense of strength, but also, and this is, so now I'm going to step on my cultural soapbox. I said I wasn't going to gravitate toward lamentation, but just the idea of work brings dignity, Right? My biggest problem, here goes, and I now probably will offend somebody. The biggest problem with the sign holding on our street corners is not just that they're known liars. I know many of them are lying because I have someone that's told me that they're taking the money and spending it over at the bingo parlor. Not, but it's not just the problem that they're liars. It's that they have lost a dignity 
that is associated with work. Now, I know that I'm probably going to get emails or phone calls. Please don't. Just keep them. But I know I'm going to hear from somebody about, you know, well, there are hard situations and you need to be sensitive to that. And you're right. And we do need to be sensitive to specific situations. But what I'm saying is, is that as far as the home is concerned, we as parents and grandparents, we need to be encouraging our children to develop a sense of industriousness And part of that benefits the child. The child is benefited from that industriousness by what? By gaining strength and dignity. There's a sense of dignity that comes with that. And then finally, it says she looks well, meaning she's perceptive to what? The ways of her household. The idea is, in this case, the mother, but it could apply to others. She knows what's going on inside her house. She knows what the kids need. She knows the kids individually. She knows strengths, weaknesses, things that are necessary, unnecessary. She knows her husband, so forth and so on. The idea could have certainly could be applied to the man who is taught to sacrifice himself as Christ does for the church, so also for the children within that home. Number five, provision. Provision. Proverbs 31.15 She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Again, don't get trapped in that it's just the woman or even the uniqueness of that household. The idea is what? She's, she's thinking about providing for the, the home. She's thinking about providing for the home. It goes on in verses 21 and 22. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The over idea is what? That, 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 that she is providing as she can and as she has the ability to do. So also we could say the same thing of her husband, right? He has an obligation to provide. But so also within the home, we looked at those things uh, of, of children and in terms of their contribution to the home. One of the things that we looked at is that the children need to be learners. So the children, part of their uh, involvement, part of their industriousness in the home could be learning. It could be a number of other things. It doesn't necessarily have to do specifically with making money. Number six, I've got to move quickly. Smart and hard work. Um, This is the former businessman in me coming out, uh, but I used to have an employee would say, well, you know, she's just working so hard. Or, you know, he's just a a hard worker. And I used to say, "Um, smart or dumb work? Huh? Huh? What are you talking about? The idea is, is that in Proverbs 31.16, she considers a field and buys it. So she's a real estate acquirer and negotiator. She knows how to, to negotiate contracts, right? With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. The bottom line is an implication is, is not only is she a hard worker, but she's what? She's a smart worker. She knows what needs to be done. She is not, we would say, spinning her wheels. She knows what needs to be done. Well, the same thing applies within the home. Here 
in the home, we know what needs to be done, don't we? I mean, children will oftentimes know what needs to be done in the home. They just don't want to do it because of laziness. And so as parents, we've got to encourage them to embrace this sense of industriousness to work to, to, for smart and hard work. Number seven, charity. Charity blesses a home. We don't think about this, but this is actually a major point. She opens her hand to the poor, reaches out to her, her hands to the needy. N- not the shyster, but the actual. She's smart, isn't she? She knows who needs it. She's done her homework. She looks into it. She digs. She finds. And her children see it. That's why it's a blessing to the home. The children see the charity that is demonstrated by virtue of their parents. And when our children see that we're givers, incidentally, this is, a, this is something that I read, so I'm not making this up. Uh, so somebody watching this on the video can probably uh, do a Google search and find this. Uh, but I read, I think it was probably by Tom Rainer or some person like that several years ago. Do you know the number one way that we learn to be consistent, faithful tithers in the church? Do you know the number one influence on that? Everybody knows, right? Because we're talking about parents and children. We learn it from our parents. More than likely, if we are faithful to give and faithful to tie to the church, our children learn from that. And so we want to involve our children in that, right? We want our our children to see this is what we do. We do this uh, for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. Children learn from their parents. And in this case, uh, they learn from the charity of the mother. Number eight... Integrity. Integrity. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The implication there is her husband is known by virtue of whom? Her, right? The point is, is that the integrity within the home is important. The integrity of a husband is important to his wife. The integrity of a wife is important to her husband. The integrity of the parents is important to the children and yields dividends over and over and and over again. Number nine, wise speech. Wise speech. Speech is a blessing to the home. I gave the example last week of of the boy at the bus stop and and the cursing in the home, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, Well, what do we know about this woman? She opens her mouth with wisdom. Proverbs 31, 26. The idea is, is that when her mouth is open... It's what, you know, what the, the old joke about, you know, you know when a politician's lying... When their mouth is open, right? So the, the idea here is when, when her mouth is open, what? Wisdom flows. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you love to be known for that? You, you know, when she opens her mouth, it just, there's just wisdom that flows from it. Well, that's what the Proverbs is saying. But of course, that applies to the household as well. For the father, the husband, the mother, the wife, the children as well, that we want wise speech. It was said, and I'm, I'm out of time and I'm giving the example anyway, uh, it, it was said by someone who had stayed with the Puritan uh, pastor Jonathan Edwards and his family 
that within the home, and remember this is a small home, low roofs, people sleeping next to one another during the colonial period, and he stayed with them and he said, I I was amazed. They never raised their voice. The implication being that he and his wife probably did. He said they never raised their voice. The children listened to the father and mother, so forth and so on. There was wise speech within the home. Number 10. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, a, that's an excellent tie-in. For the video, what, what verse was that? Luke 7.35. Yeah, that's excellent. We need Brandon will add that to our, our video clip. That's a good one. Number 10, kindness. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Again, the idea is wisdom comes out of her mouth. And from her tongue, the, the idea is what? Her, her speech, it, it's, it, it's kind. She speaks kindly. And then number 11, fear of the Lord. And I'm, I'm really out of time, uh, but uh, fear of the Lord, we know that this is how it ends in telling us about uh, this unique person. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, so also the family. A family who fears the Lord, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, children who fear the Lord, so also are to be regarded by the Lord. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the study and we thank you for the blessing of your word. We ask now as we prepare to worship uh, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.